0: Nothing Owed Nothing Owed Nothing Owed Welcome back to the Nothing Owed Podcast. Listen along as accomplished guests discuss success and failures during their journeys as entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors. Bettering your position starts by learning from those who went before you. That learning experience can happen anywhere, in the car, at the beach, or on a treadmill. There are no excuses for where you end up in life. If you want something bigger, the time to take action is now. There is no better time in history to achieve success. The hosts, Brian and Stu, are both Marine Corps veterans who believe life is what you make it. Your place in life is determined by your decisions. If you want more information on the podcast, please check out the website at nothingowed.com. No BS stands for nothing owed with Brian and Stu. That's what you're going to get with the show. Are you ready?
1: All right, welcome back, everybody, to the uh, Nothing Owed podcast. As usual, we have uh, Stu on the other end and uh, me, Brian. As always, we have another great guest today, friend of mine that I met uh, actually going to one of his uh, his restaurants. His name is Derek Foster. And he started the Marine Corps and went to culinary school. And now he is actually running a restaurant franchise and is selling those franchises. Um, so he's gone pretty far in a short amount of time. So we're, we're all really excited to talk to him and hear his story. With that, let, let's get to it. So Derek, how you been?
2: Good, good brother. Uh... You know, just enjoying the Midwest. It's it's a lot different than California, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> now you're uh, yeah. Kansas City, right? Yes.
1: Very cool. Yes. Very cool. We'll, uh, we'll start from the beginning. You uh, you started in the Marine Corps, so you already have yes. a, a step up on most other people. You're better than most people, just like Stu and myself. Um, <laughs> I was like, to throw yep. that in there. no, I'm kidding. But let, tell yeah. us about that. When did you enlist? What was your MOS? How long did you spend in the Marine Corps?
2: Uh, I went to boot camp July 07. Okay. And then I got out, when was it? It was uh, September 2011. Okay. I was a 3381. I was in Okinawa for my first two years. Hey, Derek, will you tell everyone what a
3: 3381
2: is? Oh, yeah. uh, So I was a cook. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. And then I, was, uh, I got transferred to 2-8 to Golf Company, and then I ended up in Carolina. And then immediately we went on a our, our, our deployment to Afghanistan, uh, and we were in Trek Nala. And I, even though I was a, I was a cook, I, I was actually on, the, on a cop with, uh, with 11s and machine gunners, the, uh, who I'm all still very good friends with today. And I didn't actually do a lot of cooking there except for like uh, when we'd go to the bazaar or something and I'd, I'd cook up like a lamb uh, on, on a Hesco wire grill. We made like, you know, makeshift Hesco wire grills and stuff like that. Did a lot of jet boil meals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that was, that, that was pretty much it. When I, when I got out, I went to a local culinary school in Kansas City for about four or five months, the place that I was working at, the chef, he's a really, I would say he's a celebrity chef in Kansas City and most of the Midwest. A lot of people know who he is. His name's Howard Hanna. He ran his kitchen like, like the military, so I, I fit in really well. Most people start out on his cold side station, which is like your salads and your soups and your desserts and stuff like that. But he threw me right into the cooking aspect because I was pretty good at cooking. It's just been a passion of mine for a long time. I mean, I would say cooking, uh, I, I knew I wanted to be a chef ever since I was a little kid helping grandma in the kitchen and I grew up in a children's home in Paragold, Arkansas. Okay. And that's where I really learned like Southern hospitality and like really good down-to-earth home southern cooking, and I fell in love with it. I've been cooking since a very young age. Back to what I was saying uh, was that his, his kitchen was, was so pristine and, like, high class, and, like, I loved it, and I, I fit right in with it. Nowadays, uh, you, you couldn't get away with this, but I wouldn't even clock in until, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but I would be there uh, at 10 a.m., making sure all my stuff is done and when i say all my stuff like this is why i really like that place because i would break down rabbits i would break down fish uh i would make sauces and all the stuff that goes along with it braise all the vegetables that go with the different dishes it was a lot of work nowadays if you try to tell your employees you're not allowed to clock in until say so they'd tell you to go after yourself so but you know times have changed and then clean up i i wouldn't leave that place till 1 a.m 2 a.m and we we would get destroyed all night he's the one that told me to go to the cia and to quit going to the local school he wrote his letter of recommendation i got accepted to the cia and thankfully they took the gi bill and I, i i went to culinary school there and And CIA, you mean Culinary Institute of America right there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Culinary Institute of America. It's in Hyde Park, New York. So I went went there and uh, while I was going to school there, I would take the Mm -hmm. sub every every weekend and instead of like partying, because I I already did that. I was older. I got out of the Marines when I was 26. So like all the kids fresh out of high school that were going to college, they're all partying on the weekend. Right. I, I wasn't focused on that so i would take the train down to uh to new york city and i got a job at a place called Corton, which was a two michelin star restaurant which was like my dream and uh they actually did like a netflix series on the chef that ran that place his, his name is paul lebron he's like a six six tall english guy super strict in the kitchen like gordon ramsay strict like crazy but very finesse, very good at what he does. And uh, I'd say that that really honed me in there as well. That's If you don't mind me
1: asking, that seems like a great opportunity. How did you come across that? I mean, did you just apply or did you get referred? Like that that seems like a pretty good opportunity for someone who's kind of starting off.
2: I actually ate in there uh, with some buddies. We just had like some appetizers and some cocktails. And I was talking to the sommelier there, which the sommelier is a, a A person that is an expert in wines so when you go to like a fancy restaurant they tell you what wine goes with what and actually to be a sommelier it's a very prestigious process because they have to be able to tell you what a wine is where it came from how it was aged what uh, what region it's from whether it's new world old old world which new world means if it's from california or the united states Old world means it's from Europe or the older European countries. He was he had graduated from the CIA too, and he was like, "Yeah, man, like you should come in here sometime and 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 work." And I was like, oh, "I'd love to." And he was like, "Well, let me go get the sous chef." And then I talked to him. He's like, "Yeah, you want to start next week?" I was working there up until my internship, and then my internship happened and. I actually went to Colorado and I went to Tabernash, a place called Devil's Thumb Ranch. And uh, I went out there mainly because I love Colorado and I had some friends out there already and I wanted to be able to snowboard when I wasn't cooking. Okay. So I got to work with some amazing chefs out there as well and work with amazing products. It was a five-star hotel and uh, I-, I loved it out there. And then, Oh, what I was saying was that their Wagyu program there was insane. So we were getting like local Wagyu. We were spoiled with Wagyu. Now, do, do, are you guys familiar with what Wagyu is? I'm not. No, it's it's beef, right? Yeah, so it, it's a it's a higher grade of beef. Uh, it's a specific uh, cow in it it's fattier the the fat striations if you look at it looks like it's just super veiny and just tons of of fat running through it and you can japanese a5 wagyu is like the highest you can go
1: okay
2: and that stuff's like four hundred dollars a pound it's like super expensive you can get american version of wagyu and you can also get a australian version of wagyu all are really good Japanese is actually the best you can get but even the American stuff is really good and the okay. stuff that we we're getting in tabernacle was really good so if you ever see Wagyu on a if you're at a restaurant order it it's okay. it's worth it okay. yeah and and you cook it less so like medium rare you want it rare it okay. tastes better rare it's like butter You could cut it with a spoon. It's ridiculous. Uh, After I I left Tabernash, I came back to uh, school uh, after my internship. The the restaurant that I was working at in New York had shut down, which I could see why. It was the, the guy was doing such fancy food. The food costs were through the roof. And at the end of the day, you have to run a sustainable business. So I kept that in the back of my head, too. And then uh, I started working, I applied for another job down there for a place called the Musket Room. And it's a one Michelin restaurant in New York City. I I learned a lot there. I had a job offer there uh, when I graduated the CIA. My wife now, who was my, my girlfriend at the time, she was from California. So I had to turn that job down and I ended up moving to California. When I moved to California, uh, I opened up a place for a guy called Tempo Urban Kitchen, okay. which was in Brea, California. Okay, Literally, all he did was hire me to consult and and make recipes and whatnot. And that, that lasted a couple months. And then after that, he asked if I wanted to be the chef of the place. And I I pretty much said, uh, I, I kind of want to do my own thing. And he, he respected that. So we went our own separate ways. And then Uh, That's when I started going back to my roots being from Kansas City. I grew up on barbecue. I mean, if you, Kansas City, I mean, it's one of the most violent places in the US. So they say like walking down the streets of Kansas City, you smell gun smoke and barbecue. (laughs) So. And my my buddy that actually raps with uh, E-40 and a bunch of people in the Bay Area, he has a song coming out soon called Gun, Smoke, and Barbecue, and I love it. Uh, (laughs) Girl, I I miss good barbecue, so I I started, I bought a little smoker from Home Depot, just like a little $80 smoker, and I, I just started testing out recipes and testing out rubs and whatnot, and then that's how the catering started, like, I started posting it on Instagram and like friends were like, damn, that brisket looks good. What do I got to do to get that? And then I was like, well, uh, I can make you one if you were or I'll, I'll cook you up one if you want. And so that's kind of how that started. And then I got a bigger smoker and started doing like events and stuff like that and concerts and whatnot. And then um, it got a little bigger. And then while I was doing that, I, I did a pop up in Los Angeles. So when you, if you don't uh, mind me asking,
1: like when you when you say pop up, like what would what does that entail? Like how is that different than what you were doing?
2: Uh, so the pop up in Los Angeles, this is a, this was actually quite a bit different. So basically, uh, it was in a loft studio in uh, Los Angeles, and then basically like thirty people would buy tickets to a dinner, and then they'd fill the seats and, and they'd okay. come and then i'd I'd cook everything that day right there, okay, in this little uh tiny loft spot and that that um, was
1: something that you you'd set that up you said
2: yeah, so uh these people the the guys that were running the the loft pop ups they they contacted me and they they invited me out and okay i went I went to one of them and then uh they asked me to cook at one of them and then i I kept cooking at one of them and then uh long story short, one of the other guys that did pop-ups there, his name was uh Matt Ewan. He worked at a place called Luxhaun in Los Angeles. He worked for Chef Sang Yoon, who's a celebrity chef in uh Los Angeles, and he he was the person that started Father's Office and he was like the true godfather of a, a gastro pub. Like he's the one that really got the gastro pub where it is today. And okay. I ended up meeting him and going to one of the restaurants. And then next thing I know, I'm, I'm working there. (laughs) And, (laughs) and so I I worked there for about a year. And then again, though, like I did it for more of the experience and I learned a lot there. And I I learned how to, that's where I learned how to manage a restaurant and put systems in place. And uh, because he was so strict with everything, I, I just took mental note to that. And a lot of these places that i worked at i probably wouldn't have been able to work at them if it wasn't for military structure in my background because they ran the place super strict always had to have pressed uniforms always had to be on time or early uh so it was, it was a really good experience and I, I was doing i was working there and still doing the barbecue and then eventually one had to give and i was right. like as much as I love this guy, I've done my time here, so I feel like it's time to move on and put more money in my pocket, so I I, I ended up doing that, and I went full force with the barbecue, and I I was doing uh, events like, you know, the Tim McGraw concert and Huntington Beach and, and uh, all the country coastal jams and stuff. We were set up with Ember Barbecue there. Okay. And that's a huge deal. I mean, how did you uh, how did you get the Tim McGraw deal? I'm just curious I mean,
1: that's a that's a big deal for anybody.
2: Uh, so this guy, his name's Nick Nolan. Actually, he's from Kansas City. He he was the one that was that set all that stuff up, and he found us on Instagram. So okay. when people say Instagram's not important, it is because it's gotten me very far. That's how people have contacted me because of the yeah, food I like post and whatnot. And, and he liked the job that we did. So we did, we did country, con- anytime he had a big country concert, Dan and Shay, Cole Swindle, Tim McGraw, uh, we we were there slinging barbecue. And then. If you don't mind, I'm we, curious. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm curious though. Like when you do those, those concerts, how many people were
1: you serving? <laughs>
2: uh a lot. I don't even know <laughs> the number. All, all I know is that uh, we would clear like seven to 10 K. And sales in about three hours. Wow. Okay. Because it was just fast, fast paid. Right. And it was a beautiful thing. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, so doing that, and then where I met you at uh, Native Sun Ale House, yeah. we, we, we ended up contacting, well, they contacted us and we ended up contacting them back. And they're like, hey, we need food here. People seem to like your barbecue. Do you want to do a pop up here? So I I did a pop up there, and just one pop up ended up being like a year long pop up, right? And it worked and it worked good for the both of us. And I would say that's where we got our jump start because we were featured on Food Network and Travel Channel and Cooking okay. Channel and all that for what we were doing at Ember Barbecue. Which uh, do you remember the Hog Heaven that we did there? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that that kind of put us on the map. And then hey, Derek, uh, Derek,
3: when you're doing these pop-ups and you're at the place that you are now, would you have a staff? Like how many people do you have surrounding yourself right now?
2: Yeah. So, so when you do pop-ups, you hire a full staff and you pay them just like you would any other business.
3: And are these people following you from kind of pop-up to pop-up over these three years that you're describing?
2: No, it's uh, no, not, not necessarily. I had different people at different locations. So it just, I would honestly, I would put an ad in like Craigslist or like a cooking site. I'd be like, Hey, doing a pop-up this week, paying $12 an hour, could you use the help and hope and pray that somebody responded. Cause if not, it'd be my wife helping me. And I know she, she, as much as she loves doing it, she likes to relax. So <laughs> and so so still so cook circles around me or anybody else too. So. We did we did the pop-up for a year at Native Sun Ale House. And then uh, while we were at Native Sun, I saw they are opening the first food hall in Kansas City. I'd seen what food halls have been doing in other states uh, around the U.S. Uh, from traveling. And I was like, well, this is a great opportunity to jump on this. The, the deal they were giving was very good. It was a turnkey location, and I was like, if we don't jump on this now, we'll never have an opportunity again. And I took advantage of that situation. I sent in an application to the guys that own the building and everything. And we're working on the project. They ended up accepting us. Uh, I was actually one of the only people that didn't have to do a taste test for them because I was in California and they just, they took everybody's word off our, off our Instagram. So again, Instagram is important for people that <laughs> so and he told me that he, I, he's like he's like just so you know everyone else did a taste test but you but I figure like we didn't need that with you I was like well I appreciate that
1: now at this time you still had the physical location of Ember barbecue at Native Sons so you kind of had two places going at once right yes
2: Yes, yeah. uh, and, but we were coming up towards the end of our contract. We had like five months left at uh, Native Son okay. when, I, when I opened up Mother Clucker, which is Nashville Hot Chicken uh, in Kansas City, and Parlor was the first location. And uh, I fell in love with uh, Nashville Hot Chicken uh, when I was at the CIA. I went and visited Nashville, Tennessee, and I've been going there since I was a kid too with family and whatnot. And I, it's been something I've loved for a long time. Kansas city did not have Nashville hot chicken. So I wanted to be the first one to do it. I didn't really think of it as being a franchise, but it made sense, but that wasn't on my mind. I just wanted right. to get my own spot opened up and, and a place that I could be at for more than a year. Cause pop-ups are just temporary, right? There's, and it's, it's usually how you test concepts. A lot of chefs that you'll see or hear about, a lot of them do pop-ups. Even even today, uh, if they want to test the concept, pop-ups are just like a huge thing. Uh, it gives you a chance to test the concept and see if it works. So I was kind of done doing pop-ups and I was like, I want a, I want a steady spot. And thankfully, like it, it took off and hit the ground running pretty hard. There's a lot of there's a lot of bumps in the road. We had we had a fire that shut the place down for like a month, and it happened to come from my kitchen. Uh, what, if you don't mind me yeah. asking, like, what what caused the fire? Was it
1: cooking? Was it? Uh,
2: yeah. So one of my employees had uh, boiling butter on the on the stove. And, uh, he picked up the pan and the pan, uh, the pan handle was super hot and he dropped it on the floor. And when he dropped it on the floor, it, the, the butter splashed into the, fl- uh, the flame on the, on the stove. And then it, it whooshed up and, and it, it caused oh. the uh, sprinklers to go off and it caused a little bit of damage. So we were, <laughs> we were shut down for like a month after running strong for three months of being open and then i mean but that's what insurance is for right right uh (laughs) and and i had it on we had cameras in there so i had it all on video and i saw like it was a full-on accident but that was one of the bumps in the road and i i literally like it was it was my phone had rang a couple of times i didn't get up and, and and answer the phone call but first thing what i usually do is i'll check the cameras in the morning i saw a fireman in my kitchen with water up to his knees and i was like i I, yeah i turned over to my wife and i was like (laughs) whatever you do do not look at the cameras (laughs) it's just like why what's the matter i was like just don't look at the cameras right now because we're gonna have a lot of questions and let's just get ready for a busy week that's all i'm gonna say oh man so it was that was that was rough and the fact that it came from our kitchen was rough cuz there's seven kitchens in this food hall and everyone's like man you guys i just can't believe you flooded the place you know i was like you know why you got to be a blue falcon just accept it happened <laughs> and then uh another bump in the road starting your own business you can't like afford to get a bunch of stuff so like right. i don't i donated my my ipad to the restaurant so that that the employees could clock in and out and whatnot and take orders and then i wiped everything from my ipad but unfortunately when it re-updates when apple re-updates it reloads everything so this (laughs) so this this dude was like transferring money from my bank account to his paypal and stuff like that And I, but I caught it all on camera and I'm like, what is this guy doing? Sure enough. Like I see this money going out of my account. And I was like, I was like, babe, who, who's Rose? Where's this money going? And then I put two and two together. I'm like, this dude's stealing money from me. And he he had to know he was on camera, right? Or is he just that clueless? I, I just don't think he cared. And unfortunately, like he stole like 800 bucks, but still it's a principle. Well, yeah. I told I told, I told the police and they're like, well, if it wasn't like over $5,000, there's really nothing we could do. I was like, oh, awesome. And, and he kept, he kept doing, he kept doing it too. Like even after, uh, I don't know what he got a hold of, but it's fixed now, but he kept tapping into us somehow. And he was ordering stuff like on Uber eats and, and stuff like that too, through our, our accounts. But finally I got that all taken care of. So there's, there's been a few bumps in the road, and then uh, not only that, but uh, a cat burglar broke in. They literally took our uh, our safe out from under the counter, and threw it out the window of the building. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, and I and I have it. I have it all on camera. And They took about seven thousand dollars, and that that's another reason why I have those cameras. Like seeing that, I was like, "Wow, this is insane." They ended up catching that guy because in that safe, I had like my employees, W twos and stuff like that. The cops found, uh, they pulled a guy over and they had, the guy had all my employees paperwork in his back seat. Jeez. Yeah. And, and the dude was from out of town. So he, he would hit like town to town and then go back to like his home base. The guy was from St. Louis and they said like, he's robbed places all the way up to Arkansas.
1: So that was just his full-time job, then, just to go around ripping people off.
2: Yeah. (laughs) God. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, so there was one other bump in the road, and I'll (laughs) I'll go ahead ahead and talk about it. So we opened this place. we, We opened our second location in Oklahoma. Like, if you look at our reviews, like, it's all really good reviews. But then we started getting, like, these really bad reviews. And these phone calls and people complaining about their chicken and it tastes like Walmart, like frozen chicken and stuff. And after digging deep into it, these guys stole our name and put ghost kitchens in the back of like these bars. So you can't even see it if you look on Google. You have to order through a third party like uh, Uber Eats or DoorDash or something to get their food. They literally stole try I own the trademark motherfuck- mother clucker. I bought it. I bought it. <laughs> I bought it. <laughs> and these, these guys were using our name, not only our name, but they stole our logo too. So if you look on like Uber eats and DoorDash, you could see like our logo and, but there's like no location, but you could order, order the food. So I had somebody order the food and, and sure enough, it was like trash. And so people are thinking like, we like, downgraded or something or they're like oh you guys deliver now like no we don't deliver this stuff they don't teach you at school you just you just you you learn it as you go along with the with the business and it's not it's not meant for everybody you gotta have very very thick skin because there's just stuff along the way that's crazy and you always gotta have a lawyer on retainer always you can never not have a lawyer on retainer uh, our phone constantly rings off the hook, and I always gotta tell people, "Very sorry, it's not our food. It came from these people. It's a ghost kitchen out of these different bars. You can only get it through a third party system. So I can't even do like, like I do DoorDash and stuff in Kansas City, but I can't do it in Oklahoma City because those people are out there doing that. I'm friends with a lot of the chefs and whatnot, and. One of my local buddies who's a chef in Kansas City was like, bro, like, just so you know, these people called me and were like asking me if I wanted to open up a mother clucker in the back of my bar. And I was like, well, we already have a mother clucker in Kansas City. And they're like, no, this is a different mother clucker. <laughs> and it was, it was them trying to sell their concept to my buddy. His name is Paul Tran, and he opened up the Halal Guys in California, and he owns all 15 of the franchises out there. L.A., San Diego, and Orange County area, right. and he used to work for a big company called Mart, which those Mart are the forefront runners that got Chipotle where they are and Five Guys where they are, Panera where they are. Like a um, consultant firm, or what, what do they actually yes. do? Okay. Yeah, they're they're a consultant firm, and they kind of take on the tasks so that they do a little more than consulting. Okay. And he wanted me to consult some recipes for him for a concept and it, it ended up not going through and i kept in touch with him i was like hey i think i want to franchise mother Clucker. what all does that entail and he basically took me under his wing and he's shown my wife and i like everything and he helped us get it uh to where we can now sell them okay he's the deal maker and he He's the one that talks to it because there's just so much stuff and uh, fine print that you can't really learn without right. doing it and experiencing it. So he's the one that's talking to all our potential buyers and stuff okay. like that. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't really be where we're at right now. Uh, he's been a tremendous help. It
1: sounds like had you not met him, you probably wouldn't. Had you Would you consider franchising had you not met him?
2: I would. It would have just been harder to do with very little capital. Okay. Because a lot of people, when they do that, they have a lot of investors and stuff like that. And we've just been feeling off what we've been making in Kansas City. Okay. So when that pandemic hit, it was right bef- uh, right before the pandemic hit, literally like right before shutting everything down. We had just legally gotten all of our uh, documents done so we can start selling franchises.
1: Wow. If you don't mind me asking, how ha- in your area, how has the pandemic been affecting you? Like, Did you get shut down at all because of that? Or were you still able to serve food? Yeah, we
2: were sh- because we, we don't have a standalone and we're in a food hall okay. to by, by what the food hall owners wanted. And we're, we've been shut down since the end of February. We wow. just opened up five days ago. that might be how was that bump in the road compared to the rest of them oh man that was I that was the worst one I would say but yeah I'd say that was that was the worst one the positive thing about this one is you know I could spend more time with my family I just had a new baby so I got to spend more time with you know the wife and the baby and my other son too so that that was a positive thing and then it gave, it gave me a chance to, uh, really think about like how we can move forward with the franchising because we had a lot of people that were talking and wanting to do that before the, before, uh, the pandemic. And then it just became crickets after that. You didn't hear from anybody because they were losing money too, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, right. so it was, uh, <clears throat> it's pretty rough, but things are starting to look alive again. So that's, that's a good thing.
3: Is there any insurance claim that a restaurant owner can do during COVID?
2: No, the only thing you can do is you can pull out the the PPP loan, but I can't pay, <clears throat> I can't pay myself with that. That can just go to vendors and employees only. Yeah. Have you, I did that. I did that so I could pay them. How was your experience with that? Was that
1: easy to do or was that, I mean, just curious. Yeah,
2: it's was, it was pretty easy. The 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 bank that we worked with, it was easy. Uh and I think we got lucky with that because I've heard some horror stories with that too. Uh but our bank was pretty good with it. Okay.
3: Derek, what kind of business background do you have? So I understand Marine Corps discipline, I understand the CIA and all the, the OJT you describe, but I mean it seems like you, you have a lot of business savvy. Can you describe any formal education or was that all just from on the job training?
2: Let's just say, well, no, uh, when I was young, when I was younger, uh, I I lived on my own at a very young age. And uh, I'll just say like, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I have a lot of street knowledge. I had to survive and do what I could when I was younger. And thankfully I'm blessed. Like I never got in trouble or, or shot or killed or anything like that. I learned a lot from that. And I learned a lot putting that in perspective with the Marine Corps and then going completely legal on everything you know it's just like i would say if i didn't have that knowledge i would have got ran over and 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 pushed down in the dirt a lot easier because i see it happening to people around me uh and i try to talk to them and help them out because there's a lot of politics in this tons of politics especially like when you're in a, a food hall setting or you're in you know a lease setting so like right now like i'm done with like landlords i'm i'm done with it all like Moving forward, my next location, I wanna own the commercial property. And right now is to do that because everything's down, like commercial property is down like 30% and it's just nosediving deeper right now. I, I, I mean, I don't know about where you guys are, but places are going out right and left by where I am right now. What would you say contributed to
1: the direction you took in your life? Because by all means, like you're incredibly successful, like you're doing awesome stuff, right? like you're doing better than a lot of people that have formal education and have master's degrees and all that stuff. And I mean, this as a credit to you, I think a lot of people that, like you said, kind of have a lot of street knowledge, they maybe would have chosen the the wrong path. So, I mean, was there something in your life that you can point to that said, I'm not going to go, I'm going to take the right path instead of the wrong path. Like, is that, Can you talk about yeah.
2: that? I mean, like, I mean, even the biggest, you know, kingpins in the world, you know, and get, get rained on their parade at some point. Like, you know, Frank Lucas snitched out the entire army and uh, everybody that was involved in, in his operations, you, you know, like a lot of the Italian mobsters that they were, they all ended up getting, you end up getting caught. So is it worth it at the end of the day? It's not worth it at the end of the day. And there's more money to be made legally if you do it the right way right and there's tons of there's tons of like side hustles legal side hustles you could do and whatnot i just started dabbling with sports card flipping there's tons of money in that right now tons of money really yeah uh if you would have bought patrick mahomes rookie card hollow uh for 500 dollars last year it's going for about 8k right now Hmm, I got a closet full of baseball cards I might have to revisit. <laughs> uh, it's such a hot market. It's ridiculous. And stuff like that. Like uh, my wife, she's like, are you going to go get a job? I was like, yeah. I was like, if I have to, I will. But babe, I think I have enough side hustle and street hustle knowledge. I, we can get by without it.
1: That's, you know, that's awesome to hear you say that. And just for the record, we didn't just for the listeners, we didn't coach him to say that because what he's describing is exactly the point of, of this show. And it's exactly what we're talking about. And it's exactly what we're trying to get across to everybody is that it, the opportunities out there. And, you know, just like Derek said, the, the potential to end up in jail and lose everything you work for is, is so much greater than doing things the right way. And I really give you a lot of credit, man. Cause I, I had no idea, like all the, all the things you went through, like, I only knew a fraction of that. And so, oh, hear- yeah, I appreciate that. No, I mean, I'm being totally sincere when I say that because you, like, I knew you had a good story, you know, and that's why we wanted to talk to you, but to hear everything that you went through, like people stealing your safe and like even stealing your name, like that's unbelievable to me, but you're still making it work and you have a great attitude. And I love that. And that's, I, I mean, you're perfect for, like you exemplify what we're trying to get across. I think perfectly. I, no, I appreciate that.
3: Yeah. I'm struck by the resiliency. I mean, all the, the, as you called them, bumps in the road, just being able to remain resilient, keep your eye on the prize. And, I mean, you're talking about growing. And so you're either getting better or you're getting worse. So I'm just impressed. I I honestly believe, and I brought up the formal education piece just because Brian and I have talked about this before. I think a lot of people believe if they go get an education, that a job's going to be waiting for them, but they're not willing to put in the hard work or be resilient. You kind of see that with the Marines. I mean, that's what boot camp is all about, is teaching you to fail and be resilient. And uh, I'm just impressed with how hard you've worked in remaining resilient because a lot of people would have given up in similar situations. And I, I think that's what struck me.
2: Yeah, I appreciate
1: that. Yeah, absolutely. Has there been something that's made you want to give up? I mean, what was it,
2: what's was what been the most challenging for you? Like, what, what's been the hardest <laughs> part of all this? Well, like, yeah, you know, I have thought about it. And I just had a conversation with my buddy about this, like, a couple days ago because, like I said, like, I, I was doing like street stuff when I was 18, 19. And one of my buddies I lived, lived with in like the super super hood of Kansas city. Uh, it's called, it's called 25th and Askew. you, can look it up. It is crazy. I I'd sleep on his couch and I would I'd sling weed all day. Well, this kid would sling weed all day and he would, uh, I had a job too. I was working at a restaurant, but, uh, he, he worked for the trash company uh, before they had electric arms that came and lifted that, that shit up and put it in the, the garbage. You know, he was one of the people that was riding on the back of the truck, and throwing the garbage in the truck. He would wake up every day. His shift uh, started at 7 a.m. He would wake up every day at 5 a.m., put on these old school instrumentals of like Tupac and Diplomats and, and, and all these rappers we grew up listening to. And he would freestyle in the front of the mirror for about two hours before a shift. And this was every single day. It was crazy. I mean, I would wake up and be like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? Like I'm still trying to sleep. I didn't get off work till (laughs) 2 AM dude. Come on, let's go. Uh, But long story short, that same kid that I grew up with is making beats for E40 and people we grew up like, like listening to while we were doing what we were doing when we were younger and you know he he even said like one time when we were riding in the car and smoking blunts he's like bro one of these days I'm gonna rap 40 and he's doing it now and yeah. it, and, it, and he was talking to me the other day and he's like man like I love this rap stuff but you know, like, I don't like the politics and blah, blah, blah. But that's, like, with anything you do. And I'm dealing with the same thing right now with certain things uh, and certain people. I'm, I'm dealing with these politics. And I'm. he was, like, I think I'm about done with rap. And I was, like, dude, you're, you just made a beat for E40. You're on one of his new albums. Like, bro, like, that's what we dreamed of when we were younger and, and you're doing it. So why would you give up on that? I had a little, uh, I coached peewee football, and I had all of the parents over for a party at my house yesterday for the kids. And one of these, these dads came up to me, and he's like, hey, man, play this song. He's like, this goes so hard, and my kids love it. And I was like, oh, yeah, let me check it out. And it was the song my buddy made that I grew up with in Kansas City. I was like, bro, that's my, that's my homie. Like, I talk to him every day. He's like, you don't know this guy. I was like, no, I do. I was like, call him right now and he'll answer. And I did. And uh, he answered and he talked to, to, to the kid's dad and was like, wow, like, yeah, Derek's one of my homies. We grew up together, blah, blah, blah. We used to live together, ride together. And he was like, he's like, that's what's up, man. He's like, well, dude, like, what you're doing out there is, like, amazing. My kids love your music, blah, blah, blah. And I, I was like, he needed to hear that because he wanted to give up on rap. Why would you give up when you're good at it? And then, uh, like I said, like right when the pandemic hit, I had just got my FDD so I could start selling these franchises. I had a guy in Atlanta that wanted to buy all the rights to Georgia. I Well, I haven't heard from him since. And I wanted to give up. I wanted to give up. Long story short, I had a, a somebody – uh, messaged me on my mother clucker Instagram a few weeks ago at like midnight and he's like I'm interested in the franchising and we're doing a discovery with him we're scheduling his discovery here soon so we're moving forward with that process and and like I said I wanted to give up because I was like somebody buying the rights to jo- uh, to Atlanta or to Georgia would have been amazing but uh, if it if it didn't happen it it didn't happen so this new guy that is talking to us brought a breath of fresh air to me. And I do want to give up sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, damn, is this really worth it? And I I know at the end of the day, it is going to be worth it. So I keep going. So let's, if you don't mind, let's talk about the franchising. How do you, how do you envision that, that rolling out? Like what's your, your vision for the future? Um, So actually I'm hoping to be as big as Chick-fil-A or raising canes one day. And I'm actually, if, Any veterans want to buy a franchise? I'm giving them 5k off the uh, actual purchase of the franchise, so the actual purchase of the franchise is 30k, and then you have to have all the capital to to back it up, like for the build out. You know, you're starting payroll and all all the the business aspects. You still got to have that capital. Um, Do
1: Do you mind talking about that for a little bit for someone that is interested in a franchise but maybe hasn't considered it? too serious like what exactly like someone who wants a franchise like what would they need in their pocket to to move forward with you i'd say
2: after the 30k you could get started for about 450k uh very very basic but if you wanted it if you wanted it to be like uh go out with a bang to to get going i would say 750k and and banks are handing that out right now especially with this pandemic because So many businesses are going out of business and they need places like our restaurant to, to help economy thrive. And honestly, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but Chipotle and Panera weren't that big until after the 2008 depression because they capitalized on that depression to start buying locations and they, they just kept buying and pushing and buying and pushing during that recession they were so established by the time the economy caught back
1: up. And isn't that about the same time that um, like traditional dine-in restaurants kind of started to see a decline in sales? And because the trend now seems to be like the fast casual,
2: you know, yes.
1: term, is yes. that kind of so about I, the same time?
2: Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I think fast casual is a lot of people in the culinary world look down on it, right. but if you do it good and you do it right, there's nothing to look down on. And that's what I'm trying to do with it. Like people think fast casual is gross. Well, 90% of the time it is, but I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to keep it traditionally how it is right now. And it's gonna be the same recipe anywhere you go. Right. Well, I think that's a good point. And
1: you said earlier, you know, the restaurant you worked at, they went out of business because their their food costs were so high. So, right. So- you can look down on it, but at the, at the end of the day, a restaurant like that's out of business and Chipotle Panera uh, Chick-fil-A have lines out the door, even in a, right. a struggling economy. So w- what's the better decision, you know?
2: Right. Exactly. And that's, that's at the end of the day, that's that's how you got to look at it. Cause when I was in culinary school and when I was in the Marines in Afghanistan, all I could think about was just being a chef at some fancy ass place with like 20 courses You know, and it's just like tiny petite food and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, that doesn't make you money. And at the end of the day, that doesn't, uh, it's not a sustainable concept. And at the end of the day, you got to feed your family and eat. So is it really worth it? And those, those restaurants have armies of people. So it's like all their costs are through the roof. You know, their labor costs are through the roof. Their food costs are through the roof. So I don't care what anybody says. It's not a sustainable concept. Yeah, because I'm sure a, a sommelier is not cheap. I, I could be wrong no, about that. No, <laughs> no, they're not. They make, they make great money. Uh, another thing I learned, like working at these Michelin restaurants, they have backers that just have like, fuck you money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they just dump into it to keep the name up, but they're not really making any money.
1: Okay, so it's more of trying to keep up an image
2: more so than yeah a
1: business. Okay, That's yeah, which
2: isn't yeah which isn't sustainable and it's not fun at the end of the day either. I know a lot of people have
1: looked at franchises. I, I've done it myself, but for someone yeah, out there, yeah, so who's...
3: so Vi, actually, I actually, I went I went deep down the rabbit hole with a Jimmy John's. So I was listening oh, to okay. you throw out your numbers, man, but I was like ready to pull the trigger, and we ended up Easy. backing off. But uh, yeah, man, I've done all the research <laughs> too.
1: Who do you, Who do you think? A, like, what's, what would be an ideal person for a franchise? Like, you know, some, like what does buying a franchise offer someone that's looking to start a business that, oh um, like, if you're starting from scratch, like, what do you get for the money that you invest?
2: So, even for the unexperienced people, like, there are some sports players that were talking to me at some point before the pandemic. They don't have any, like, restaurant experience. And obviously, they'll never be there because their careers such, you know, take so much already of their time we have a system in place to where we can uh hire a management team for you so you never have to be there but it is an extra fee like 6,500 a month to do that okay so it, it could be anybody and we're not saying no to people just because they don't have experience but i have a little questionnaire that i send to people and if they meet the criteria through the questionnaire then we move forward in the next steps and showing them numbers of what we made and what you could expect and like uh, people got to remember too our our kansas city location is only a 192 square feet and we did over 800k in sales after taxes
1: you said 192 like 192 square feet
2: yeah yeah 192 square feet yeah it's wow. super small yeah <laughs> that's, so that's imagine incredible yeah. So now like, so now I'm looking for a place with, with a drive through, uh, I just put in an offer for a spot for, for, for my location. Not this. it won't be a franchise, but it would be like our first corporate store. Okay. Uh, I put in an offer. So I'm waiting to see if this guy comes to the reality that commercial real estate is not where it is. Right. What he thinks it is right now. Right. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what
1: happens. Just the one thing I wanted to, to recap on real quick for anyone that's, that's interested when you went to the culinary Institute for someone that may be interested in going down that path, mm-hmm. how did you, that, cause that's a big deal. Like that's not easy to get into. So how did you get hooked up with that and
2: just kind of explain the process for someone who may want to try that out? Um, so you got to have a letter of recognition or LOI to get into there from uh, an alum person that, that graduated from there. Okay. And then, and then you got to do a, Uh, a couple tests uh it's like math and basic cooking stuff and whatnot and then if you already have your basics out of the way it's easier to get into there too it's it's a commitment it's like boot camp because and what i mean by that is if you uh even if there's a death in the family they don't excuse anything you start back over because they're pushing so many people through there and if you miss like any of the classes they're just they go into such depth and detail like it's not even worth them starting you off there again, like they'll set you back
1: okay
2: like my my wife actually unfortunately, I had to because I had already graduated and she was still still there in school i I went to her grandpa's funeral for her because they were going to set her back a month if she went to the funeral. Wow. Yeah. So it's a, it's a commitment. Like they don't take, like, if you're late to class, like they'll kick you out. Like it's, (laughs) it's it's, pretty crazy.
1: So it's not even a matter of, I mean, it's obviously hard to get accepted, but once you're there, it's hardcore. So you have to be prepared for that. Okay.
2: Yes. And it's just like the military, like pressed uniform, your your cover has to be on properly. Like it's very, very military-esque. And that's like uh, that's why I think it was so easy for me. Like I know a lot of people. Like there's a lot of people that quit. There's a lot of people that uh, like decide it wasn't for them. And sometimes so even some of the people that graduated, like this blows my mind too. Like they're not even cooking. They're like they're like stewardess on a on a plane or something like that. I, I saw a, per, a dude that graduated in my class. I was like, dude, I didn't know you worked for Delta. <laughs> no kidding <laughs> yeah. wow serving me my my 6 am bloody Mary <laughs> <laughs> Well hey, hey, Derek, uh, I, got, I got one
3: question yeah. you, you talked early about uh, working I wrote it down you, you said showing up at 10, not leaving till two in the morning. Do you mm-hmm. find you're working longer hours as the owner than the employee or vice versa? just wondering on where you're at now. Um,
2: well, I, yeah, I can like uh another bump in the road. I fired my entire staff uh right before the chief's uh Super Bowl uh because they uh they decided since it wasn't the Super Bowl they they weren't going to show up to work and I was like if I have to come in there I'm firing everybody. So so whoever's there is not getting fired and I, I had one guy there. So everyone else was fired, and I ended up. Uh, I ended up working for like the next six weeks there, uh, just myself and this one guy. My wife would come in when she could, but we just had that baby and she was breastfeeding, so it wasn't really sustainable for her to be in there. And how, how many people did you uh, have been firing? Uh, eight people. Wow. So that was. Yeah.
1: 90% of your staff almost yeah
2: yeah but but again like that's what people got to understand like all cook circles around you like I can do yeah. my I could do your job better than you I just I, I'm trying to open up more businesses and I if I'm at work all day I can't focus on that that's... but I got a I got a good staff in there now it, it it only took like six weeks to get to get another staff in there it didn't take too long And what, when you're, when you're looking for employees, I mean, do you require like past kitchen experience or are you willing to train people? Like, what do you
1: look for when you hire people?
2: Oh, I'm willing to train people. I like people that don't have any kitchen experience because they don't have bad habits and you can train them exactly how you want them trained. Good point. So I, yeah, I don't turn, I don't turn anybody down. I mean, when I got hired, when I got out of the Marines and I got hired at the place I worked at in Kansas city, which is very well known. And out of all the Michelin restaurants I worked at, like, this dude's cooking was more hardcore than any of them. Just because of the level of the cooking, it's not, like, it's not, it's not all, it's fancy, but it's fancy on a different level. Michelin stuff has, they put flowers and garnishes on all their stuff. Like, this dude, like, literally had me breaking down rabbits, fresh fish coming in every day. If, a, if somebody came from one of those workplaces, I would expect them to be a manager. But if people don't have any experience, it's fine because I didn't have any experience when I went to him, but I told him I was a quick learner and, and I, I worked my way up there pretty quick just without any experience.
1: I, like I said, I, I knew some of your story, but I mean, to hear it, like
2: hear you tell it, it it's awesome, man. Like, yeah, that was a
3: great story. That was a great conversation.
2: Oh, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for letting me share it. I I really do appreciate it. So, and I, I think it's, I think it's cool. You guys are, are doing this. It's, it's, it's very awesome. And I hope, uh, I hope that uh, the people that are listening, you know, w- whatever job they're doing, they'll keep doing it. Yeah. yeah, that's the point.
1: And, you know, I, like I said, we, we didn't coach it all, but you hit on a lot of the points that, that we try to drive home is that, you surround yourself with the people that you want to become and, and you get yeah. that, you know, it's, it's hard work. It's showing up on time. And, you know, you use the tools that are available, you know, Instagram. I mean, that's free to sign up. Like, yeah, uh, I've seen you almost, well, from your start in California, you know, I've, I've kind of watched you and I got to say, I'm real disappointed that you left California because <laughs> there's not much good barbecue out here, man. But um, yeah, like you use the tools that you had and you know, I watched how you did it and I've, I've seen it, man. You, you, you said so many important things and,
3: you know, I think what you said about it being political and even the story you told about your friend that was got to where he was in the rap game, but everyone gets to a point where it's very political and it's hard to navigate those personal relationships. And, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. And I think when you get to a certain place in your career, everyone experiences that. And your point about, you know, keep working, get better at what you do and don't forget how hard it was to get there. I think we'll resonate with a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, is there any, uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, where can they find uh, you for the, if they're interested in a franchise?
2: Yeah. Uh, so our, uh, my Instagram is, uh, at duffelbag chef, uh, D U F F L E B A G C H E F. And then, um, our uh, Instagram for Mother Clucker is at Mother Clucker official. A couple posts back, there's uh, uh, the franchise information. And like I said, um, it's it's 30k for the initial franchise, uh, but you still gotta have the capital after that, right. uh, at least 450 to 7 750. Uh, and 50. and uh, I'm giving 5k to, off to any veterans off the That's initial. Awesome. So it'd be 25 K. Okay. And uh, your buddy that was talking about Jimmy John's, I think they're even more expensive than that. Aren't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah. That's a good deal. And we'll uh, we'll have links in the show notes and on
1: our uh, social media pages to all that. So anyone that's interested, um, if you didn't get the, uh, the addresses and the pages, we'll, uh, we'll post that up. So you can, uh, you can check it out on our website and our uh, social media pages too. So we'll have it up there. So Bad. and
2: then I'll let I'll let you know when I'm coming out to California. It should be like a couple months.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, if you do, you're gonna have to cook some barbecue for me. That's just the way it's gonna <laughs> That's,
2: be. going be a <laughs> pop up. <fine>. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
1: For the uh Nothing Old Podcast, this is Brian and Stu signing off for the day. There.